0: Have you ever been to the crag and seen some dude free soloing and just thought to yourself, what in the hell is that idiot thinking? Well, you're in the right place, my friend, because this idiot is about to tell you exactly what he was thinking. So throw the rope in the closet where it belongs and grab a chalk bag for your sweaty, sweaty palms, because the process is about to begin. All right, everybody, the official season is over. I uh, concluded everything I needed to talk about from the last season of rock climbing and what happened there. But, you know, I've got a little bit more to throw on here. Um, I took my old blog, Dreaming of Nar, offline, and I'm giving that to a friend so that she can do something cool with it. And uh, I saved all my blog posts, though, on the cloud folder, and slowly I'm going to be bringing them back to life here. So those are gonna come onto the uh, blog portion here, and some of them I'm sure will turn into podcast episodes and what have you. Um So in between seasons here, I am planning on doing some uh shall we say, bonus episodes? Extracurricular content. Yeah, you know, some of these are gonna be a little bit more unscripted than others, like this one today. Uh, A friend of mine at the climbing gym mentioned that he got a kick out of the term corporate dirtbag, and there's actually somewhat of a story behind how that term came up. And that's what we're going to go into today. So I've had a weird life. Um, So I've had a weird life. Somewhat counter to the standard rock climbing norm, I've never actually had a real dirtbag phase in the classical sense. However, when I was climbing cell phone towers, well, I'd be out working and the company man would put me up in a hotel, right? And then when I got off work, you know, I'd be out working for, maybe I'd be out working for six weeks. And then after that, I'd get a whole week off. Or maybe we were on a different circuit where we'd work for 14 days straight and then get four days off. You know, like getting both weekends at once. Well, when I'd get that time off, I kind of just wanted to drive out into the wilderness and go climbing. So my apartment was basically just the world's most expensive storage unit. (laughs) Why waste money on that? I'm not getting anything out of it. So I moved everything out of my apartment and sold what I could, threw out the rest, and donated a good portion of it. So there, there was rather minimal waste, luckily. Um, and from that point, I just moved into my truck, this kick-ass little Nissan Frontier, with a uh, truck cap on it, a little camper shell, and packed whatever I thought I would use regularly with me, and that's it. I was just gone stayed like that for about 18 months. Eventually got a, a little bit better job with Nokia as a traveling trainer, and goodness, they sent me to 26 states in the space of 18 months. And everywhere I'd go, I'd run straight down to the local climbing gym to try and find my people. And uh, I have a tendency to collect climbers on Facebook like Pokemon. You know, gotta catch them all. And so at this point, That has sort of, that's sort of turned into like a, a semi automatic serendipity machine. If I'm going somewhere, climbing, or for whatever reason, I can kind of throw out the all points bulletin on Facebook and somebody is going to reach out and say, hey, I'm going to be there too. And if they're not, well, then maybe one of their friends is. So in that way, it's been a really useful tool for getting connected with people. Well, so I met a lot of climbers in a lot of time, and once upon a time, you know, I did, I've only been living in Chicago for about a year now, coming up on a year and a half, um, but my first time in Chicago was for work purposes, actually. So, uh, I was working in the Schaumburg office for Nokia, uh, doing some training up there, and you know, the usual circuit was that they would send me out every Monday. Well, Sunday night, really. And I'd train Monday through Friday and fly back home. Which really meant fly home to go rock climbing, you know. Um, so they had me going every week to Chicago for four months straight. And I met a lot of people out here. Which was pretty friggin' rad. And As per my usual protocol, first thing I did was run straight to the climbing gym. Here's the Cobra Dirtbag Blues. I buy my own shoes. I buy my own rack. I've got my own pack. Don't tell me what to do. Just do what I do. My job pays my hotel, that rhymes with hell, I go where I want, except when I don't, don't got no home, but I'm never alone. y'all have met me, you'll know that I'm loud and I can't really shut up, and uh, basically that's kind of what led to this podcast here, is I've been talking too much and finally decided to record it all somewhere. That way I don't have to repeat myself as much. This is all about efficiency, right? Well, when I got into the climbing gym, I was sitting there gesticulating and talking beta with this chick, and after uh, talking about travel plans and cool places and where have you been what have you done what's the coolest thing you've ever seen she goes hey you should come to my going away party tomorrow i need to teach my face how to use its inside voice because uh, <laughs> uh apparently i had that's fucking weird written all across my eyeballs she goes no 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 no, no, no. it's uh all my friends are climbers it won't be weird Huh, okay, I get it now. All right, yeah, we can do that. So the next day, I showed up with a bottle of whiskey, and just like any other mixed company party, you had all the muggles hanging out in the in the living room around the coffee table looking at the TV and talking politely to each other with some hors d'oeuvres and finger foods sitting in front of them, and then in the kitchen, huddled around all the booze were the climbers gesticulating wildly and talking about this beta and that rock climbing. This one time I had this crimp that was so sick. Next one was a finger pocket. Then I had a donkey lock into a finger pie and I was out of the crux. <laughs> and of course, uh, eventually somebody fingerboarded the door frame. Then somebody else fingerboarded the doorframe with two fingers. And then somebody else else did pull-ups off the doorframe with two fingers. And uh, he earned the one-finger salute. <laughs> so, you know, we're sitting there talking about, where you been? What have you done? What do you climb? What's the coolest thing you've ever seen? And one of the guys goes, dude, we're going to Red Rocks. Want to come? Well, when you going? We're going in two weeks. <laughs> that escalated quickly. Wow. Been in Chicago for two days, and they're inviting me on a tri- climbing trip. That requires plane flights and all that crap. You know, I think I can get used to this town. So, uh, I couldn't really accept, though. I had a girlfriend at the time that lived in Colorado. And I'm pretty sure that if you ditch your girlfriend to go rock climbing, you're gonna get your butt kicked. Well, the next day, she broke up with me. Bummer. I'm going to Red Rocks! <laughs> So, uh, mixed bag there, mixed bag. Makes for a funny story, but it was pretty tough at the time. Um, So I called up my boss lady the next day and said, Hey, do you mind if I had a uh, Monday and a Friday off at this particular time? Didn't mind at all. I was a contractor, so I was paid by the day. If I had a day off, that was savings on the budget. So they never really mind if I took a day off back then well, next question so um, you know how every weekend you're flying me home, yeah, well, you know how I don't actually have a home right now? yeah, can Las Vegas be my home that weekend <laughs> She goes, yeah, sure, whatever. Plane flights are cheaper there anyway. So they flew me, uh, home to Las Vegas for this trip. And she did give me a warning though. We're not entirely sure what we're going to do with you that following weekend. So you, you know, just book the flight one way. (laughs) Oh, my God, I've got a one-way ticket to Vegas for Valentine's Day. If that's not funny, I don't know what is. Um, So, yeah, a couple weeks later, we all packed in the airplane flight and headed down to Vegas. And as soon as I land, her uh, assistant manager type dude calls me up and says, Hey, he's extremely British. Uh, Forgive my poor accent here. He goes, So, um... We don't really have anything anything for you to do next week. Um, is that a problem? (laughs) Uh, No, it's not. Not at all. You mean I've got a week and a half to go rock climbing instead of four days? Fuck yes. So, I extended the uh, number of days on my rental car, and I just sat there giggling like an idiot. Well, we run around and do our climbing in red rocks, and... Me and a friend, uh, we kinda synced up and we were all about this speed climbing thing. And once upon a time I did Crimson Chrysalis in, uh, Las Vegas and it took us untold hours. It took us forever to hike out there, it took us forever to climb it, we were the first people on luckily. Uh, and we were the only people that topped out that day, oddly. Um, everybody else, it seems, was slower than us, and they had the good sense to bail. Whereas we kept going. We brought food with us thinking we'd have a picnic on top. You know, this thing's only 5'8". <laughs> only. Got to watch out for that word. So we climbed that thing, and we got to the top, and I could see the shadows were creeping out fast to the horizon. And my climbing partner, she says, All right, time for lunch. And I said, Uh-uh. We got a boogie. She saw the long shadows, too, and we began to rappel. 1,000 feet of rappelling, 10 pitches. We were able to link some of them because we had two ropes that were both 70 meters. And um, after a certain point, I was on, I'd rappelled maybe 900 feet, so we were getting about 100, 150 foot off the ground. And I thought, you know, it's getting pretty dark here. I should turn on my headlamp. Oop. There's a pair of bolts right in front of my face, just shining. Oh my god, if I hadn't turned my headlamp on at exactly that moment, I would have wrapped straight past those things into the abyss. (laughs) Uh, Unintentionally successful? I'll take it. We got down to the floor, and it was dark now, and we finally ate our munchies, and we started hiking out, and um, I got plum lost. I mean, not mega lost, but micro lost. I knew where we were, and I knew how to get, well, eh, I didn't know where we were, that was the problem, but I did know how to get where we were going, even though I didn't quite know where we were. There are all these stone cairns marking the trail, and they're easy enough to see in daylight. But at night, by a headlamp, I was kind of following footprints, and apparently I was following the footprints of someone that got just as lost as we did. (laughs) Can't be smart all the time. Part of the time would be nice. I'm working on it. That's my project. Be smart part of the time. I'll get there someday. I think. New Year's resolution? Uh, better not be my New Year's resolution. I've already failed that one. Anyhow, moving on. So we're hiking endlessly. And um, coming from the parking lot, you hike parallel to this little wash, this gully where water usually flows through. Well, sometimes flows through when it's raining. You hike up to a crossing and circle back and carry forth across uh, the wilderness to Crimson Chrysalis. Well, on the way back there were no lights of any kind couldn't see anything you could I was kind of navigating there was no moon there were no lights in this place because it's a uh, uh, what do you call it? like a wilderness area type thing uh, nature reserve something no, I forget the technical designation of it but there's no electrical lights shining on the parking lot so I can't really see where we're going I'm just kind of going off gut intuition and sort of dead reckoning via the lights of Las Vegas off on the horizon. And so finally, as I had planned, or rather hoped that we would do, we ran into this wash, which didn't really have any water on it. But at that point, she realized that I had no idea where the fuck we were. Because (laughs) you definitely don't run into this wash on the way in. And uh, so that was a discussion. Like, no no, just trust me, just trust me, we gotta cross this thing, then we'll run into the trail, we'll turn right, and then we'll get there. And we didn't hit the wash at quite the correct spot, but we didn't hit it at quite close to the car either. So when we got across and started hiking to the right, you know, I kept being like, We're almost there, we're almost there, and she's like, Yeah, bullshit, we're almost there. And fatigue came in and she gave up. She was like, that's it. I'm done. We're bivvying right here. We don't have any bivvy gear. We're going to fucking freeze to death. Are you kidding me? was not budging on this decision. In complete desperation, I pulled out the key fob to the car, held it far over my hand, and clicked the unlock button. Whoop, whoop. The lights shined on. That fucking car was 30 feet from us. It was so dark that we couldn't see. The parking lot is on sort of a elevated little hill, so the headlights of the car weren't refracting back into our headlamp. We had no idea. We almost bivvied for the night 30 feet from the car. (sighs) Barely had a happy ending there. So, anyhow, me and Andreas came back to Crimson Chrysalis, and we smacked that thing out in three and a half hours. We were back in time for margaritas. And a couple days later, when the trip was ending for the Chicago crew, well, we knew that uh, it was going to rain at 1 p.m. So he and I were like, all right, let's see how much climbing we can get in. We're gonna speed climb the crap out of this. And the whole crew was going out to, uh, Cat in the Hat. Little, uh, yeah, four or five pitch, five or six. And he and I decided to simul climb it. And they were climbing as a traditional party of three with two ropes. A little bit slow. We were off like a rocket. And we hit the top in 45 minutes, whooping and hollering, on-site. And we even got lost and took the 5-9 variation by accident. Then we uh, started rapping down, and we ran into our other crew. They were working on the second pitch. The leader was at the top. The followers were following. And we said, uh, hey, yeah, when we got to the top, we whooped and hollered. And they go, we know. Y'all topped out before we finished the first pitch. Uh, sorry guys. So we, uh, we wrapped down and ran back to the car. Then we drove out the scenic loop and then back in the scenic loop and went to the black corridor of Calico Hills. And when we got in there, we did another 10 pitches, 10 pitches at 50 feet, about 500 feet. The rain sprinkle dots hit us and we just did the short approach back to the car. No big deal. We didn't even get wet. And, uh, so that 500 feet plus the 600 feet of cat in the hat, we did 1,100 feet by 1 o'clock. Once again, done in time for margaritas. Speed climbing can be useful sometimes. Well, our friends weren't so lucky. They were strung out on the third pitch when they got hit by the rain, and they got a little bit mildly or totally saturated on the way back down. Then we all reconvened back at camp and... We went out to uh, obtain margaritas, and went back to sleep eventually, and I uh, was in my little body bag of a bivy sack, laying there, and you could hear the rain falling everywhere, and after a while, the sound of the rain stopped. It was cold outside. I didn't really want to peek my head out to see what was going on, but it was just deathly quiet waking up in the minute, in the morning. I looked around, and there were eight inches of fresh powder on the ground. It had rained from one o'clock in the afternoon all the way until the temperature dropped and it began to snow. Well, no climbing today. Luckily for them, it was time for the plane flight home. So, they wound up going home... And because my boss still didn't have anything for me to do next week, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. All the way down south to Joshua Tree. is the haunting kind with ice in his veins and a murderous mind I got to Joshua Tree with no rope and no partner, which <laughs> turns out is a good way to find partners with ropes, because uh, they're like, you don't have to do this, because, you know, they're yelling at me from the ground while I'm I'm busy. You can climb with us, so uh I ran around like a squirrel until I found two different groups that had crucial attributes. One of them had extra food at their campfire tonight. Want to join us for dinner? (laughs) Hell yeah, I do. My cook setup is miserable. I'm driving here in a two-door sedan. I brought everything I had in a plane. You don't get to bring a good setup that way. So I hung out with them, and then I went to go visit the other crew, uh, because they had an extra parking spot at their campsite, which means I can bivvy right there in my car. No big deal. Well, then we all woke up the next morning wondering what are we going to do? They were also refugees from Las Vegas. Got kicked out by the snow, so they climbed sandstone till their fingers were shot. Then they drove south to the only place that could ruin your fingers more than Las Vegas. Wonderful plan. Well, Susan hollers out. Hey, they've got $10 camping on Laguna Beach. Y'all want to go drink margaritas? Noticing a theme on the beverage here. So that's what we did. We, uh, we all loaded up, drove down to uh, Laguna Beach, got $10 campsite. And then uh, we all had a plane flight home. At the same time, roughly, I mean, same day, same afternoon. And, uh, you know, because I'd been traveling at about 75 to 100 percent with work for three years, I had an unreasonable amount of reward points with the Holiday Inn group. Turns out the Holiday Inn owns the Palazzo on the Strip. I had enough reward points to get us a $300 a night suite. For free. So, we did that for the hilarity of it. And uh, on the way back, Susan found some hippie hot spring. We all went to hang out there in the middle of the Mojave Desert or some desert. I don't know. Once again, I had no idea where I was. Noticing another pattern? (laughs) I didn't really plan much on this trip. I just kind of went with it. I didn't know where I was, what I was climbing. At one point, I was at Intersection Rock, kind of rambling around. First order of business for the day is to find yourself a down climb. So I went up the right ski track, which is a five-three, so that I could verify if it was a good way down. And then after that, the whole thing would be ex- open to exploring. Well, as I was climbing up, I ran into another soloist who was climbing down. His name was Alexis, and we kind of grunted, and like, oh, oh, hey, um, mm, what are you doing here? I'm climbing. What are you doing? Uh, you, you mind if I pass? Like, no, no problem. And, and then we awkwardly passed each other in this wide crack. And as soon as he gets below me, he goes, hey, you want to follow me on my circuit? Ha! Heck yes, I do. So we ran around chasing each other like squirrels on top of intersection rock until the sun fell. And... He'd be in front of me leading the way and he's like, Yeah, you put your hand here, and then you lean over like so, and it seems stupid, but you just trust it and boop, there's the hold. And then on another spot I was kind of struggling on a five six, and he was like, Oh man, just reach up here. a little bit higher. And a little bit higher. Yeah, oh my god, that is a good hold. Yeah, man, that'll happen sometimes out here. You're climbing along thinking there's no way this is five six. And then you reach a little bit further and oh thanks, universe. That's perfect. And it takes it from grunty to all right. And we kept running into that all day long on intersection rock. I still don't know what routes we climbed. I just blindly followed. It was awesome. Well, so, yeah, uh, getting back on track here with, uh, Susan and, uh, her travel companion. We got to, Las Vegas and the three of us checked into the Palazzo and so us three have crusty dirt from the desert all over us our backpacks are grimy and we look just like gross heathens and we're checking into this swanky arse hotel in Vegas there were all these people about 10 or 15 people lined up at the counter wearing suits crisp pressed suits. They're like, holy crap, it's going to take forever to check in and we're going to have to deal with these idiots. <laughs> but then I looked behind the counter and saw a six foot tall sign that said Platinum Elite. Um, as mentioned, I had been traveling for far too much and so I had way too many reward points and I was Spire Elite. Yeah, first they had silver, gold, and platinum. Then they realized some people were traveling too much entirely, so they invented Spire Elite. As soon as they invented it, I immediately qualified. So I walk up to the Platinum Elite line, and I go, hey, sup? (laughs) The people behind the counter were pretty amused, and they go, hey, sup? Said, uh, I'm checking in. That's what's up. Yeah. All right, what's the name? Howell. Austin Howell. I'm 008. And they uh, pulled up my reservation immediately and said, Hey, would you like uh amenities or uh, reward points for checking in today? I said, I'll take the amenities. And they gave me some coupons and free snacks and stuff like that. Meanwhile... All the suits are just giving us eye lasers. What are these dirty hippies doing at the Platinum Elite line totally passing us by while we stand here for an hour? <laughs> uh, it was delicious. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, we... uh there were all kinds of people trying to go run up the elevators and all that stuff to hang out at the rooms, and there were these big old bouncers there to keep them away. And so we just started walking back, and we just held our card up in the air and walked straight on through like we were bosses. And we took those coupons, and then we made a we made it kind of a game that night to see how much free stuff we could get. And then that was it. Plane flight picked us up the next day, and we all went home. And uh, I went, well, I, I didn't go home. I went to a uh, home on the road in Indianapolis, off to the next training mission. And so that's it. That's kind of how the corporate dirtbag thing came up. I was, uh you know, I didn't have a home, much like a dirtbag, but I always had a roof over my head because the company was putting me up in a hotel everywhere I went. And thanks to that, I got to travel around and see a lot of places and you know, whenever I'd arrive, I'd say, hey, are y'all going out this weekend? And they'd be like, yeah, and I'd sync up. Or they'd be like, no, and I'd be like, I'll climb anyway. <laughs> kind of convenient. Um, And, yeah, I traveled around the country like that for about a year and a half, and then finally it got old. People were like, you know, it's good that you can do this when you're young and unsettled. And I said, guys, if I keep doing this, I'm going to be old and unsettled, and it won't take long so all good things must come to an end and uh, eventually I wound up in this delightful position I've got here in Chicago where I travel occasionally but not enough that it becomes heinous it's still kind of fun and when I uh I got the position I was living down in Atlanta and so I was talking to these people at Ericsson and they were uh during my interview they said We've been looking at your resume, and it's interesting. <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, it's going to be one of those interviews. There's a big difference between that and, hey, we've been looking at your resume, and it's interesting. Totally different conversations right there. So these guys were skeptical from the get-go, and I was shaking in my little space boots, just afraid I was going to fail. And um, so wound up that they uh turns out they didn't actually dislike me they had one major reservation though said we noticed that you're not actually from chicago you're living in atlanta and we're just worried about that because a lot of people when they move cross country they just can't they can't take it, it and drive them crazy i said oh guys i'm not even from atlanta <laughs> And they relaxed notably in the conversation, and I think that there was the moment where I stuck the landing. And they said, uh, so, hey, uh, you got a place to stay in Chicago? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 yeah, I got, a, I, got, I got a place to stay lined up, no big deal. All right, cool, well, we'll uh, start you in two weeks. <laughs> uh, oh, my God, two weeks. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> no problem at all. No problem whatsoever. And so, uh using that semi-automatic serendipity machine called the Facetron, I put out the all-points bulletin. Hey, uh, does anybody have a spare couch? Or like a corner that I can make a hobo roll and sleep in until I figure out what I'm doing? Adam Bickle shoots back to me, no. But I got a spare room. Game on! We have a place to stay. And I hung out in Adam's spare room for about a month until I got things sorted out well enough to get a place of my own. And the rest is history. I've been here ever since. What a weird life. (laughs) But life's good when you're weird. You know, that's the cool thing about being a rock climber, is it's basically like you have friends everywhere you go. You just haven't met them yet. And I think that can be said for anybody who has a passion. You know, when you go somewhere, you can find people that have that same passion and sync up, and then boom, immediately, you have your own little network, your own little community. And there's nothing that's more valuable than having your own community. Everybody, thanks for listening to today's episode. Uh, that was completely unscripted. Just sat there and riffed uh, some old stories off the top of my head. Uh, as usual, you can find me at thefreesoloist.com, vimeo.com slash soloist. Instagram is at freesoloist, Facebook is slash freesoloist. Um, I think that's about it. I don't have commercials to give. or Oh, hey, here's a commercial. If you like podcasts and you like talking about real things, the kind of things that make you think about life, the universe, and everything, then you need to go listen to the podcast that Kathy Carlos started up. It's called For the Love of Climbing. You can find it at... Uh, oh, hold on, let me check the uh, website here. You can find it anywhere that podcasts are found. Let me type it. Type for the love of climbing. And what is the website? Yeah, the website is for the dot com. I thought it was, but I wanted to make sure. And everything's listed right there. And she's got five episodes and a couple of. Oh, a Good good handful of many episodes up there already and uh, she says that this is not a po- climbing podcast it is a podcast about life that just has the backdrop framing of climbing tagline is do what you love with love and it um you know like i've said before it's important to keep it real and it's important to think if you're going to engage in these activities that we do And I don't know of any podcast that keeps it as real as this one or makes you think as hard as this one. It's not always comfortable, but it's always deep and necessary. So go out and show her some love and spread the good mojo where you can. That's all for today. But do remember, be safe out there. But if for some reason you can't be safe... Be careful. And we'll have a quick reminder here that this is not big climbing. No, you couldn't get any farther away from big climbing than this. You could be climbing a mud hill using hammers instead of ice axes with nails duct-taped to your flip-flops so that you could pretend you were ice climbing using a Home Depot extension cord tied around your waist in a bowl and looped around a tree for the anchor with your buddy belaying you off the hip. And you still wouldn't be as far away from big climbing as this is. This isn't big climbing. This is the process. We're just here to have fun.